A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Friday, March 4th, 2022, the 408th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. So, I have now been banned by my podcast distribution platform, Anchor. And if you're very experienced in the podcast world, you might think to yourself, why were you on Anchor? Which is a great question. I got on there at the beginning when I first started my show. It was a good option at the time. And over the last two years, I have found that it is not a particularly good option. Maybe it's good for beginners, but they're still a part of Spotify. And we know that Spotify is on a censorship campaign. So after the last two days where the show was not properly distributing to all the platforms, particularly Apple and Spotify, today I got an email from Anchor, letting me know that my show has been taken down. This is what they said, by the way. This email is actually kind of hilarious. Attention, an important message from Anchor about your show. 
Hey there. It has come to our attention that your show, Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul, is in violation of our terms of service. As a result, it has been taken down. Thank you for understanding. Anchor. Please do not respond to this message. Replies to this address will not be monitored. For more information about this takedown or to file an appeal, please submit a request to our help center. And I'm sure that the help center would be so helpful. So after two days of them messing with me, I had already sent a couple of emails to customer support. I got absolutely nothing back. There is no other assumption to make here except that I was saying the no-no words and probably too many of them about the no-no subjects. So I guess in some way it's a compliment. I had to be at least somewhat over the target. They don't pull down all the shows that are wrong about everything, like Morning Joe or Pod Save America. You can be wrong about absolutely everything. You can spread actual dangerous medical disinformation for years and you will not get taken down because they actually thrive on that dangerous medical disinformation. Like, for instance, that lockdowns would help or that masks worked or that the vaccine was very safe and effective or that it doesn't actively kill people or destroy their immune systems. All of those things that I just said, those are all true. But if you say any of them under this censorship regime, then you can be taken down for dangerous medical disinformation, despite the fact that all of it is 100 percent true. And of course, the same thing applies when you're talking about the fact that there is no way in the world that Joe Biden actually got 81 million real legal American votes and anybody who even takes a cursory glance at the overwhelming and obvious evidence that the 2020 election was stolen would know that it's actually not hard to figure that out. And the evidence is everywhere. So you can talk truthfully about that election. You can report on what is really going on in the real world in the effort to overturn the fraudulent result of the 2020 election. You can tell the truth about all of that. And that, too, is disinformation. And likewise, if you want to talk about Russia and Ukraine, you're welcome to talk about it. If you are saying that Putin is Satan, essentially, and that nothing else other than what the news media in America is saying could possibly be true. There are no true answers. There is only disinformation and the information they want you to have. The information they want you to have is all false and everything they call disinformation is true. But once you do the switcheroo on the information, it's not really a problem. All of it is exactly upside down. And so it is really, really annoying to be censored. If you haven't been censored, it's the sort of thing where you probably shouldn't have any other opinion than censorship is bad. Okay, because censorship is bad and everybody has always known that forever. But there are a lot of people out there, some of whom were former friends of mine in Los Angeles, who are just fine with all the censorship. They like it. They think it's good because their viewpoint gets more power when the other viewpoint is disappeared intentionally. 
They don't actually like arguing their case. They don't like explaining why they believe the things they believe. So they actually prefer that someone else does the censorship and they just never see contrary viewpoints ever again. That makes them comfortable. That makes them safe. That's how they know they're doing the right thing. None of the situations that we are in right now could possibly happen without censorship. Censorship is what allows them to get away with any of it. If they had to operate in an open information environment, they would be done by the end of the week because they have nothing. They have nothing but their credentials and the fact that they know that contrary opinions will be stifled and silenced. Now, I don't know over the last few years how much my show has been shadow banned on starting at Anchor, which is the distribution point. So just so you know how it works, I have an account on Anchor. I upload my episodes onto Anchor. I write out the descriptions and I publish the episode. And once I do that, the Anchor platform distributes my podcast out to all of the major podcast listening platforms like Apple or Spotify or Google Play or whatever. And Podbean is one of them. And I may end up eventually moving to Podbean. So if you're not familiar with Podbean, grab the app. You can probably find the show there and you will listen just fine as any other app. I'll also be posting on Rumble and BitChute. And on both of those platforms, Rumble has an app, but BitChute, you can do the picture in picture feature with the video, close out of that app, and then you can uh, play it from your phone's kind of desktop, right? You can just close the browser window and then still play the audio. So that's a possibility there. Same thing with Rumble. You close out of Rumble, you just play the audio outside the app and it works fine. So I'm going to do that until I get everything arranged. So Anchor's the distribution platform. Over the last few days, it stopped sending my podcast out to show up in the feeds of people on Spotify and Apple. Now, it's also possible that I have a censorship issue on the Spotify or Apple podcast player platforms. Okay, so there's two different points that I could have been censored here. And at this point, I don't know which one it is. It could be both, could be all of them. And I didn't get any warnings. There were no strikes on my account. There was no, hey, don't do this. It was just done. Nothing, no explanation, nothing. So I'll get the show back up somewhere and hopefully wherever I do that, it will distribute the podcast to Apple and to Spotify so you don't have to change your listening habits at all. But this is the world we're in now. Just one day they decide you're not allowed to hear the things you like to hear anymore from the people you like to hear say them. That is what they are telling you. They are censoring me, but they are also censoring you. Okay. They are limiting the amount of information you are allowed to access in easy ways. They're going to make you jump through hoops the same way they make me jump through hoops. And you have to understand, I think that people don't get this because I've been censored a lot, right? I got banned on Instagram. A Facebook employee put me back on there for a few weeks. I read the new terms of service and I left before those terms of service went into effect. All right. I had taken Facebook down far well, like two years before that, at least. And I got banned on Twitter. 
And some of the reaction, people are like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't have been saying those things. You knew you were saying the dangerous things. What did you expect to happen? Okay. That's a terrible answer. Okay. You got to understand that. Censorship is like everything else. It doesn't seem like it affects you until it does. And you might think, well, you know, I'm not really on social media. I don't listen to a podcast. I'm not worried about censorship. I don't say those kinds of things out in public. So this is not going to affect me. Well, the truth is you're already being affected by it. Okay. Because you live in a society of people who aren't tuned in enough to even know the censorship thing is happening, but their brains and their modes of thinking are being warped by the fact that the censorship regime is in place. Them not knowing about it is actually worse because they really think that they're getting all the information and making good judgments. The censorship thing is going to come to everybody eventually. All right. I talk a lot about the future, about what they want, about the idea of a global central digital currency. Okay. About a social credit score, about the ESG scores. And you have to know, obviously, that they're tracking you the entire time. Oh, and your medical score will be part of that too. Your whole medical history. Did you comply with the recent shot requirements? If you didn't, well, we're going to take away some of your privileges. And eventually they will know everything you're saying because they listen to it. It goes through an algorithm and they can send up little flags for when you say the no-no words, including in your private life, a conversation over dinner with a friend. Your phone's there. It knows what you're saying. Your phone's near your friend's phone. So it knows that the two of you are associating. What if your friend has said the no-no things and you didn't even know about it? Well, now, now you're in trouble. And this is what happens when we don't put a stop to a censorship regime, when we just accept that this thing is in place. Okay. Now I know what I do is going to get censored. That's just part of the landscape right now. But that doesn't make it less terrible. The fact that I can find a new platform and get my show back up doesn't make it less destructive societally. And it certainly isn't a good thing for me, right? I'll get through it. It's not the worst thing that's happened to me in the last two years by a long shot. So I'll deal with it. But that's not the full effect of the censorship is whether or not you personally are able to find my show somewhere. Okay, they make it so that I can't build an audience. I can't get new listeners. They have the ability to make it so that if you don't listen to my show for three or four days, it simply stops downloading. And, you know, maybe if you're a committed fan, you'll go and be like, oh, that's weird. The feed hasn't updated. So you'll go in and you'll just listen to it straight from the feed and things will start again. And you'll be like, "Okay, fine. But a lot of people don't do that. Right. Instead of the show popping up in their feed, it just doesn't. And so they've listened to one or two episodes ever, and they expected it to start feeding into their podcast stream, but they don't get it. And so this is what they do, and they do it very subtly. They have their own means of shadow banning, just like the other platforms do. They make sure that people don't see what they don't want them to see. And it's all a part of the same thing, and it does affect you. If I was asked what the most destructive force we are fighting against right now is, I would be hard pressed not to answer censorship. I mean, other than, you know, kind of the catch all of global communism. 
But the censorship is a part of that. And I think censorship is the worst part. There's a reason the founders made free speech, the First Amendment in the Bill of Rights. It is the most important. Everything else is based on the ability to have your own ideas and share those ideas and worship as you want and assemble. Their mission is to take away the ability of people to resist the global communist agenda. And they are very disruptive with that. I can't say that they're good at it. If they were good at it, they would have already had full narrative control. They're way behind the ball on that, which is why they're scrambling for every last bit of narrative control they can hang on to. A few weeks ago, when Joe Rogan was going through his trials and tribulations about Spotify censorship, I mentioned that his response to Spotify, his little video that he put out to everybody, was a display of absolute clueless weakness. He did not understand the problem he was addressing, and he just simply backed down and gave up. Oh, well, yeah, they're just going to put a little warning label on my show, and I'm going to try to balance out like the guests I have. A little censorship is okay. Like I understand that they're trying to just keep things safe for everybody. And what I said that about that was, yeah, fine. Joe Rogan comes out. He capitulates. Oh, just a little bit. Oh, it's only a little bit. Only a little bit of capitulation. He's saying, yeah, hey, I understand that you guys have to censor a little bit. But just don't censor me. And so Joe Rogan wasn't censored. And the great likelihood was that Joe Rogan was never going to be censored. Joe Rogan still hasn't put a truly controversial podcast out there yet. Everything that Robert Malone and Peter McCullough said on his show, they had already been saying in countless other places. That was information everybody knew for years. And the COVID narrative was already winding down by the time they popped up there. Okay. Rogan came out and accepted that his show and all other podcasts could and would be censored. Well, it's okay. It's okay. People shouldn't be doing that irresponsible stuff, right? He's got to be very, very responsible. Ooh, these people are controversial. I guess I better get another person in here to tell everyone how those controversial people are all bad and wrong, even though they're good and right. And they were always good and right. And what I said was that Joe Rogan was giving Spotify permission to censor everybody else. And it turns out that's exactly what he was doing. And I'm sure he didn't know that. And I'm not trying to say that Joe Rogan is the primary problem here, but he had an opportunity to be part of the solution and he capitulated. And these are the results. Now, I don't know if I'm the only show they've taken off in the last few weeks. I know that X22 report was taken off back at the beginning. I mean, end of 2020, early 2021, he was taken off Apple podcasts and some other places for a while. And now he's back up there. I don't know how that happened. But removing people from a podcast distribution platform is really ridiculous. And you know that they are doing this stuff at the request of the government, which makes them essentially state actors. And this is the government suppressing free speech. We should be really, really clear about that. And if you've heard me talk about when I was censored on Instagram, you'll know that my face has actually appeared in FOIA government documents as the state of California's secretary of state's office asked the social media companies to censor a post I was in. 
And of course, I got banned and whatever else. But this stuff is coming from the top. This is the government doing this. And the corporations are going along with the government. And it doesn't seem like the corporations care at all about what the law is or whether they're ever going to get sued for it. And part of that makes sense in an existential way, because if our viewpoint wins the day, and it is, okay, they are going to get sued and they are going to lose and they will lose everything. But if they don't censor and our viewpoint just wins the day faster, then they're also going to lose everything. That's where we're at right now. So the laws no longer apply because these corporations are desperate and because they have so many protections within the law and with the people who may prosecute them. And again, this is just one of the problems with the totalitarian nature of the global communist system we are dealing with. The infiltration is everywhere. It is impossible to hold people to account even when they're violating the law, even when they're violating the rights of American citizens that are guaranteed to them in our Constitution. And this has been ongoing now for years. So I'm going to get off this subject, but honestly, put some thought into what this censorship thing really is and understand how it's operating because it is affecting everyone's lives and it is coming for everyone eventually. Okay. Unless you are going to go out and start repeating the communist slogans, it's going to come for you sooner or later. This is an absolute travesty and it should not be happening in America. So last night, all the rage in the media was to talk about how Russia was attacking a nuclear power plant in Ukraine. There was a fire there and everyone was worried about this huge nuclear disaster. Russia was going to destroy this nuclear power plant and we would have Chernobyl all over again. They actually kind of even prefaced it last week with Russia taking over Chernobyl. That was very big news. But last night they were going to have a full blown nuclear disaster. And that was going to be another sign that Russia was just so irresponsible. And they basically attacked this nuclear power plant to cause this huge disaster. Nuclear power plants are just naturally dangerous because something like that could happen. And obviously there's many narrative benefits to that story for the mainstream media for the central narrative in their quest to make out this Russia-Ukraine conflict as something that it almost definitely is not. And it's a little interesting, at least, to think about how they would have used this story if it had turned out to be what they were saying it was. If it was as they were saying it was, they would then be able to talk about how dangerous nuclear is and that it's not a solution for clean energy, even though it is one of the most powerful solutions for clean energy. So this would have helped their climate agenda, too, which is probably why it was such an attractive story for them to jump on last night as they did. I'm going to share some of the coverage of this. This is from NBC News. The piece was originally put out late last night. And of course, it has already been updated because, as you can imagine, the story wasn't correct. The headline on this one is Russia makes gains in South Ukraine after seizing major nuclear plant. 
Putin cracks down on dissent at home. Russian forces took control of Europe's largest nuclear power plant on Friday after their attack on the site sparked a fire and fears of a nuclear meltdown, but seemingly released no radiation. The blaze at the Zaporozhizhia plant in southeast Ukraine was extinguished early Friday, but not before it spread concerns about the potential for catastrophic fallout across the continent. You got that? The plant itself spread concerns. We were worried about it spreading nuclear radiation, but for now, <laughs> all it has spread is concerns among the media. Russian President Vladimir Putin, who has raised the specter of nuclear war in Europe, said Friday that he had no bad intention toward neighboring countries, but warned them against doing anything that might escalate the situation. With the invasion entering its second week, he has intensified his assault on Ukraine and deepened a crackdown on dissent at home, including new restrictions on foreign and independent media. You got that? Russia is not allowed to be getting foreign independent media. And the way the American media is covering this, we should all see that as some sort of human rights violation. The country of Russia is making it so their citizens can't be fully informed. And by fully informed, they mean they can't get the Western propaganda within Russia. Now, that is exactly, exactly what our government in conjunction with all these corporations, is doing here. They banned RT off of a bunch of different platforms, YouTube, Facebook, etc. RT was also banned on Telegram, which is not a good sign for Telegram, by the way. And just a reminder, you can always find me on Gab, Getter, and Truth Social at I'm Your Moderator. The best option is Truth Social if you're on there by now. If you're not, just keep it in mind. I'm your moderator. When you get on there, that's where I'll be. Gab is also seemingly very stable. So follow on Gab. Getter, I don't know what the future of Getter is going to be. Maybe somehow it will get wrapped up and incorporated into Truth Social. But it's also possible that Getter was just something of a honeypot to try to figure out what the ways are that the global communist state would be attacking a platform like Truth Social. And hopefully the Truth Social team has learned a lot from Getter's experience. But again, America is already making it so information from Russia can't be here. They are doing their best to make sure of that. And they're censoring anybody who tries to communicate what Russia at least says it's doing. OK, we don't know the full truth of what's happening in Ukraine. Because the information environment right now does not lend itself to that sort of confidence about any particular narrative. But we can tell what they're trying to censor really hard. And that's usually a good indication. But we have no moral high ground on this anymore as a country. America cannot get mad that Russia is slowing down the ability for Russian citizens to get media from the West when all of the Western countries are doing the exact same thing vis-a-vis -vis Russia. All sorts of the major corporations are pulling out of Russia. Everyone is trying to end their connection to Russia 
immediately, as fast as they can. So that moral ground is completely gone. And Russia has now also banned Facebook in their country. And that is a very bold move. And got to say, I'm not mad at it. If this is the environment we're going to deal with and live in, and we can all see Facebook for what it truly is, a system developed in coordination with our own defense department and intelligence agencies, it is a tool for the demoralization of their opposition. It is a tool for censorship, and it is a tool to achieve mass misinformation society-wide. If Facebook wasn't a heavily censored platform, I wouldn't feel this way at all. Okay. I would be like, yeah, they should be everywhere. People should be able to communicate through these platforms as they always did because people need information. I still believe that. I still agree with that. But if they are weaponizing these platforms to use in the information war against all of our detriment, then it, they don't have that neutral status where they're just a platform. They are actively doing the bidding of the enemy. So I have no sympathy for Facebook whatsoever. Facebook is doing the censoring. They are one of the biggest tools for the censorship. So they can't then play victim like they are being censored. Facebook is not being censored. A weapon of the enemy is being taken offline. And I'm speaking from Putin's perspective here. But if we also want to think of this as a global communist perspective, Facebook is their weapon. That weapon is being taken offline in Russia. So for Facebook, this is kind of just the problem of play stupid games, win stupid prizes. So last night, Western media sold everyone on the idea that Russia was about to be responsible for a huge nuclear disaster in Europe. It just didn't happen. And back to the article, the fire at the power plant, which broke out after fierce fighting between Russian troops and Ukrainian forces, was extinguished several hours after it ignited alarm across world capitals. The head of the United Nations Atomic Energy Agency said that a Russian projectile had hit a training center at the plant and that no radiation was released. Oh, perhaps because that's not where the radiation is. We don't see any radioactive leakage, a senior U.S. defense official told NBC News, adding that the attack underscored the recklessness of Russia's offensive. Except again, they didn't actually wreck the dangerous thing. The agency's director general, Rafael Mariano Grossi, said that Russian forces were at the plant, but that the Ukrainians were in control of the reactor. Ukrainian authorities said Russian forces had occupied the site. Russia's defense ministry also said the plant was working normally and that its forces were in control, but blamed the fire on a monstrous attack by Ukrainian saboteurs. It offered no evidence for the claim. Has this NBC News article, from what I have read so far, offered any evidence that Russian shelling caused the fire at the training center at the nuclear power plant? No, it has not. But they believe that that statement is authoritative because that's what they were told by the officials they talked to. Do they have evidence that Russia started that fire? No, they don't. 
The incident evoked memories. That's almost just like when it spread concerns. Of the world's largest nuclear disaster at Chernobyl, Ukraine in 1986, that site is now also occupied by Russian forces. In an emotional video address, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky accused Russian forces of deliberately targeting the Zaporizhzhia power plant. And it certainly would have been strange if they were there by accident. They know where they are shooting, he said in a message posted on Telegram. And hey, by the way, because Zelensky is posting on Telegram, Telegram is okay. But any other article the news writes where it's just us posting on Telegram, well, then it is a fringe, right-wing, unregulated site that is only for conspiracy theorists. If there is an explosion, it is the end for all of us, the end of Europe, the evacuation of Europe. This is still Zelensky. President Joe Biden and British Prime Minister Boris Johnson spoke with Zelensky as the incident prompted a flurry of late night activity by world leaders. Yes, they were probably all convening to be like, how did we uh, just lose another major false flag? Like, why isn't this working? That must have been what they were talking about. The U.N. Security Council was set to hold an urgent meeting later Friday on the issue after requests from the United States and others. NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg condemned Russia's actions, saying the shelling just demonstrates the recklessness of this war. Stoltenberg also said on Friday that NATO, quote, had seen the use of cluster bombs by Russia in Ukraine. Is there proof? Do they have evidence or is this just a baseless claim because they are trying to insinuate that there are war crimes being committed here? And that's what we have continued to hear them insinuate when we also have plenty of reports that these are actually Ukrainian National Guard members, a.k.a. Azov Battalion and mercenaries and contractors who are in country causing these problems for the benefit of Western media and the central narrative. And turning back to Telegram, which is now a reputable place where the heroic comedic actor also posts, it is now okay again to read from independent journalists on Telegram. So I am going to read a post from a man who goes by Gonzalo Lira. And this is a translation of the Russian Federation's uh, Ministry of Defense video that was just referenced in the NBC News article. OK, so Gonzalo Lira posts this post beneath that. He posts the video that is being referenced in the NBC News article. So we should assume that the video is real. Now, I don't speak Russian, so it's possible that the translation was somehow skewed. But otherwise, let's go ahead and see what he says, taking all of that into account. Holy shit. The Zelensky regime deliberately tried to have a nuclear accident at Zaporizhia. This is not 100% confirmed, but it's the word that's coming down. Below is a full translation of the post that I'm forwarding. The Ministry of Defense of the Russian Federation shows a video with destroyed tanks of the armed forces of Ukraine, abandoned enemy positions, and abandoned Javelin anti-tank systems. There is also new information. 
And man, that doesn't sound like the Ukraine military is still crushing Putin like they were last week. And just as an anniversary, it is now one week since our media was telling us that Putin was going to sack Kiev last Friday night. One week, no sacking of Kiev. And we are still all pretending that that is because the comedic actor and the 10,000 citizens he armed have fought the Russian military back and protected the city of Kiev. And no matter what, you should not assume that all of those stories from last week are simply false. It's just that they haven't actually happened yet. They were right at the time. The thing didn't happen. And those same purveyors of disinformation like Sean Hannity and everyone on CNN and MSNBC. They're also right about everything they say now. You see, everything on the ground is just changing and there's the fog of war and they can't know what's going on except when they are told and then they know 100 percent that it's true until it becomes not true. And then they're like, well, the conditions on the ground have changed, which sounds and is exactly like the science has changed. Well, masks don't work. Then they do. Then you need to wear two. And then they don't work again. And now you don't need to wear them. Understand the science changed at least five times there. And likewise, everything the media has told us so far about Russia and Ukraine has been wrong. But you shouldn't hold it against them. They are still always right and the only authoritative source for information. That's why podcasts like mine get censored. Because I am always wrong. So it's bad that I am pointing out that they are wrong because I'm always wrong. It doesn't matter how many times they are actually wrong. And the number of times they're actually wrong is all of them. Okay. It's 100 out of 100 times, 1,000 out of 1,000 times, 1 million out of 1 million times. They are always wrong because they are wrong on purpose. They are wrong on purpose because they are trying to convince you of a reality that does not exist. The one true thing that the mainstream media ever tells you is what they want you to believe. And they want you to believe that the world is going to end if Vladimir Putin keeps doing things. But this has been going on now for 10 or 11 days, and they have not been right once, but still trust them. The world is about to end, and it's all Putin's fault. But back to this post. At night on the territory near the Zaporozhia nuclear power plant, and I've seen this spelled two ways now, so hey, I'm doing my best. A Ukrainian sabotage group tried to organize a provocation. At about 2 a.m., a mobile patrol of the National Guard was fired upon from a training complex located outside the power plant. The firing points were suppressed, but leaving the building, Ukrainian saboteurs set fire to the building. OK, so our mainstream media is telling us that Russian shelling, the Russian attack caused this fire. And they are aware of the Russian Ministry of Defense's response, but they just say there's no evidence to support the Russian Ministry of Defense's response. Those claims, no evidence. And because there's no evidence that they will accept as evidence, which means that there is 
no possible evidence anywhere that would ever make them accept the evidence. Because of that, they're going to go with their original story that they told, even though it has already proven wrong. Okay, imminent nuclear meltdown. Never happened, never happened. But trust them about the rest of the story. Surely on the rest of the story, they were correct. And again, it's kind of important to note that if Putin is true to his word and the word of his government as they disseminate their messaging. He's not trying to take over Ukraine and stay there, and he's also not trying to wreck the country. He is literally there protecting a nuclear power plant. Yes, he has to seize control of those assets, of course, particularly if he knows that the Ukrainians themselves, with the backing of the global communist state, are going to stage massive events like this. It's hard to be mad that they are actually taking control of the place and protecting it. There's no reason whatsoever to trust anything that the Ukrainians are doing, that the Azov battalion is doing, or that the global state propaganda media is telling us. No reason to believe any of it. The purpose of the provocation was an attempt to accuse Russia of creating a hotbed of radioactive contamination as evidenced by Zelensky's subsequent negotiations with the United States and Britain, also referenced in the NBC News article. Okay, the staff of Zaporozhia MPP nuclear power plant is working normally. The radioactive background in the area of the power plant is normal and also 56 Ukrainian air defense systems, S-300, BUK, M-1, and OSA, as well as 54 drones, were destroyed. And that's unfortunate. I guess they were not able to call the comedic actor in in time with his 10,000 civilians who he armed. They would have surely stopped the Russian forces from taking over this nuclear power plant. It really is incredible the lengths they will go to for these massive scare events. And that is exactly what this is. Now, I want to share a really interesting piece of analysis from a man named Ivan Kachanovsky. And I read an article of his the other day from the other day on the situation in Ukraine that led up to the Maidan massacre and the overthrow of the Yanukovych government, putting Petro Poroshenko in place and then eventually being replaced by Volodymyr Zelensky after he produced his television show where he played the president of Ukraine and then his production company created him a new political party and then he ran for president of Ukraine and won like 74% of the vote. And there's definitely no chance that in the overthrow of the Ukrainian government in 2014-2015 that the George Soros election apparatus was installed in Ukraine. No way. No one would ever believe that that's how Zelensky got elected. So Kachanovsky teaches at the School of Political Studies and the Department of Communication at the University of Ottawa. He held research and teaching positions at Harvard, uh, SUNY Potsdam, University of Toronto, and the Klug Center at the Library of Congress. He's a PhD from the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason. And he's literally written books about this subject matter. So I feel pretty confident that he has 
enough information and enough expertise in this area to consider his opinion a valuable one. Despite the fact that this article exists on a site called Consortium News and not CNN.com. CNN.com, the authoritative source. The most trusted name in news. Five years ago, the Maidan massacre in Kiev, Ukraine, of February 18 through 20, 2014, was a watershed event, not only for the politics and history of Ukraine, but also for world politics generally. This mass killing in downtown Kiev set the stage for the violent overthrow of the pro-Russian government in Ukraine and a new Cold War between Washington and Moscow. Therefore, it is remarkable that five years after this massacre shook the world. And by the way, this article is from 2019. No one has been sentenced for any of the Maidan killings. This was the best documented case of mass killing in history. Broadcast live on TV and the Internet in presence of thousands of eyewitnesses. It was filmed by hundreds of journalists from major media in the West, Ukraine, Russia and many other countries, as well as by numerous social media users. Yet to this day, no one has been brought to justice for this major and consequential crime from the start. The dominant narrative promoted by the Ukrainian and Western governments and mainstream media has placed the blame for this tragedy firmly on the Yanukovych government. It contends that forces loyal to former President Viktor Yanukovych, either snipers and or the Berkut, a special anti-riot police, massacred peaceful Maidan protesters on the direct orders of Yanukovych himself. Such charges against Yanukovych, his ministers and commanders, and a special Berkut unit, whose five ex-members were tried for the murder of 48 Maidan protesters on February 20th, 2014, are generally taken at face value. With some limited exceptions, challenges to this narrative are treated dismissively. For the most part, mainstream news media in the U.S. and other Western countries ignored trial evidence, public statements by officials and politicians and scholarly studies that put the standard narrative under question. This includes non-reporting about my own academic studies of the Maidan massacre. And if by now you are not thinking, wow, this sounds a little bit like the aftermath of January 6th, the way the media covered it, and the way we know it to be. And those two things don't connect at all. And as we go on, I think some of these similarities are really going to crystallize. My work found that this was an organized mass killing of both protesters and the police with the goal of delegitimizing the Yanukovych government and its forces and seizing power in Ukraine. Oligarchic and far-right elements of the Maidan movement were involved in this massacre. For this reason, the official investigation was fabricated and stonewalled. I presented studies to support this, as well as several online video appendices with various evidence at the annual meetings of the American Political Science Association in San Francisco in 2015 and Boston in 2018, the 2017 World Convention of the Association for the Study of Nationalities in New York in 2017, and a joint conference by the Institute for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Uppsala University and the British Association for Slavonic and Eastern European Studies in 2018, and published their summary in an academic press volume. Okay, so this is a serious dude who has tried to share this story widely at professional conferences. The prosecutor general of Ukraine recently announced that the investigation of the Maidan massacre is complete. 
He cited reconstructions of the Maidan massacre by a New York architecture company working with a team of Ukrainian, quote, volunteers to provide a 3D model as definite evidence that the Maidan protesters were massacred by the Berkut police and that snipers did not massacre the protesters. You got that? So in the investigation, they hired an architectural firm to design 3D modeling of exactly what happened. So they would have nice pictures for everyone and they could say, yeah, you see from the angles of the bullets, it couldn't have been snipers. And he goes pretty deeply into the explanation of this stuff, but without the visual references and without a broader understanding of what the scene there was like, it's kind of pointless for me to go through this. Definitely take a look consortiumnews.com. And it is also in the telegram feed t.me slash I'm your moderator, but I'm going to jump down a bit. Essentially what he's saying is that they changed the angles of fire and the angles that they made their 3d models around have no relationship whatsoever to the actual medical examinations of the victims. The, Bullet holes don't match, essentially. Changing the wound locations invalidates the entire reconstruction and therefore the conclusions of the SITU analysis and the New York Times article that these and other Maidan protesters were shot from the Berkut positions. And then he goes into the government's investigation. The government investigation conducted after the Maidan government came to power after the massacre and which charged the Berkut police behind the barricades with killing these three protesters raises the same concerns and essentially that the wounds these victims sustained could not have occurred in the way they are described in these investigations. So I'm going to jump down again to the section where he addresses the Western press's silence. These revelations were not reported by any Western media. This includes the New York Times, which on April 5th, 2014, profiled this wounded protester against a backdrop of an unquestioned report by the acting government in Kiev that blaming former President Viktor F. Yanukovych, his riot police and their suspected Russian assistance for the violence that killed more than 100 people in Kiev in February. It also includes CNN, which filmed the shooting of this medic and attributed it to the government forces. Got that? CNN says the government investigation simply denies that there were any snipers there and in other Maidan controlled buildings and refuses to investigate them. This is done despite videos of such snipers and testimonies of the absolute majority of wounded protesters at the trial and investigation and more than 150 other witnesses about snipers in these locations. And I'm going to jump down again. Western media silence also greeted a recent statement by Anatoly Hritsenko, one of the top Ukrainian presidential candidates who was also a Maidan politician and minister of defense, that the investigation of the massacre has been stonewalled because of the involvement of someone from the current leadership of Ukraine in this mass killing. In contrast, there were no such testimonies admitting involvement in the massacre or knowledge of such involvement by the Berkut policemen, ex-police and security service commanders, nor by ex-Yanukovych government officials. No specific evidence of orders by then-President Yanukovych or his ministers and commanders to massacre unarmed protesters has been revealed by the trials, investigations, or news reporting. Nonetheless, the Western media report existence of such orders as a matter of fact. 
And you should think of that and see that as a direct parallel to the way the media treated Donald Trump's role in January 6th. He said, I know we're going to walk peaceably and patriotically to the Capitol and make our voices heard. And the media told everybody, the entire country, that Donald Trump had incited an insurrection. This is a direct parallel to how they're handling this. And once we get a little deeper in, you're going to be like, oh, wow. Or at least I think you will, because I was like, oh, wow. Not a single major Western media reported that a forensic ballistic examination conducted by government institute experts on the prosecution request with use of an automatic computer based system determined that bullets extracted from killed protesters did not match a police database of bullet samples from Kalishnikov assault rifles of members of the entire Kiev Burkut regiment. The latter included the special Burkut company charged with the massacre of the protesters. The same concerns the foreign examination findings that many protesters were killed with hunting bullets and pellets. There are no Western media reports, at least in English, concerning the investigation by the Prosecutor General Office of Ukraine. This investigation determined, based on protesters' testimonies and investigative experiments, that almost half of the protesters, 77 out of 157, were wounded on February 20th from other sectors than the Burkut police and that no one was charged with their shooting. A female Maidan medic whose wounding on the Maidan was highly publicized by Western and Ukrainian media and politicians and attributed to government snipers is one of them. Since the official investigation determined that government snipers did not massacre the Maidan protesters, with a single implausible exception announced recently, this implies that these protesters were wounded from the Maidan-controlled buildings and areas. There was Western media silence, including from the BBC, about revelations by the prosecutor general office that one of the leaders of far right party Svoboda, who was also a member of the Ukrainian parliament at the time of the massacre, occupied a hotel Ukraina room from which a sniper in Maidan style green helmet was filmed by BBC shooting in the direction of the Maidan protesters and the BBC's own journalists. And I'm jumping down to the end here. Misrepresentation of the Maidan massacre and its investigation by Western media and government is puzzling. American independence leader John Adams once defended the British soldiers charged with the Boston massacre in 1770. He regarded this defense as important for the rule of law to prevail over politics. He famously stated at the Boston massacre trial that facts are stubborn things and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. He not only won this politically charged case of a crucial massacre in U.S. politics and history, but became U.S. president afterwards. The question is why this dictum is not heeded almost 250 years later in the case of the Maidan massacre in Ukraine. And so with that in mind, I want to turn to the other article that I read of his. This was initially published in January 2022, January 22nd, 2022. And as I said, this is available in the info stream on Telegram, t.me slash I'm your moderator. Search keywords in the headline. Okay, the headline is the hidden origin of the escalating Ukraine-Russia conflict, the Maidan massacre. Statements by Russian leaders and the Russian military buildup along Ukraine's borders 
suggest that the danger of a significant escalation in the Donbass is real. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky failed to fulfill his election promise to end the war and resolve the armed conflict in the breakaway eastern region peacefully. Talks between the United States and Russia following Russian government demands of written guarantees to stop NATO expansion and, in particular, reject Ukraine's membership in the alliance are not anticipated to resolve the standoff. And that's another piece that we are not getting from the Western media. Vladimir Zelensky failed to fulfill his election promise to end the war and resolve the armed conflict in the breakaway eastern region peacefully. Okay, those are the regions that Vladimir Putin is referring to as ethnically Russian. They want to be part of Russia. He is accusing Ukraine of committing genocide by continuing to attack those people. It is also sometimes referred to as a civil war. But there is a conflict that has been going on there for eight years, and it is destroying people's lives. That is the great heroic comedic actor Volodymyr Zelensky and his Nazi battalion Azov, who are responsible for this stuff. Ukraine isn't some perfect actor, this perfect little victim, the small country being taken over by the big country, as Kamala Harris says. We do not need to absolve Ukraine's government in this situation just because it is sad that innocent Ukrainian people will bear the brunt of the situation. And that is sad. I agree. It's better not to have war anywhere. But it's not better to just avoid war forever while people's lives are being destroyed in other ways. U.S. President Joe Biden, his top officials, Western media and some military experts cited U.S. intelligence reports and the Russian military buildup near Ukraine's borders as evidence of Russian plans to invade Ukraine this winter. Journalists, including David Sanger of The New York Times, suggest the same. However, a full-scale Russian ground invasion and occupation of the entire territory of Ukraine appears to be less likely than a more limited use of military force. Now, remember, he's writing this five weeks ago, and what he suggested is what we are seeing despite the media stories. This could include Russian recognition of independence of the self-proclaimed separatist republics in the Donbass the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, an open deployment of Russian troops and advanced weapons in the separatist-controlled region, a seizure of the eastern and southern regions of Ukraine, or missile and airstrikes of Ukrainian military targets in the Donbass and other territories. And again, that is essentially exactly what we're seeing. Russian President Vladimir Putin and other Russian leaders have stated that NATO membership of Ukraine or the building of U.S. and NATO military installations along Russia's borders are uncrossable red lines. Such statements imply threats to use military force. And everyone involved in foreign policy knows that and knew that this was all possible because of the things they continued to do. One way to peacefully solve the escalating conflicts between Ukraine and Russia and the civil war in Donbass is an international agreement involving Ukraine, Russia, the U.S. and the EU. Such an agreement could offer Ukraine a path to membership in the EU, provided it fulfills accession criteria, stability of institutions guaranteeing democracy, the rule of law, human rights, in exchange for agreeing not to seek NATO membership and to resolve the conflict in the Donbass 
based on the Minsk protocol. However, such a scenario would be difficult to achieve due to the unwillingness to compromise and because of refusal by the EU to even acknowledge Ukraine as a potential member. And we'll see how that progresses because Ukraine has now applied to become part of the EU. And we got that news a couple of days ago. Who knows how that's going to resolve itself? There are reports right now, by the way, that the comedic actor has fled to Poland and is at the U.S. embassy in Poland. I am not prepared to say that that is confirmed right now, but it's possible and something to look out for this weekend. Various hawks care little about the potentially disastrous consequences of an escalation of armed hostilities for Ukraine and ordinary Ukrainians. They regard Ukraine only as a tool for geopolitical goals, in particular, the containment of Russia. And they are willing to sacrifice many lives in order to expand Western influence in the region. Of course, we should not expect any direct military involvement by U.S. or NATO forces because such intervention could easily result in a nuclear war. Western and Russian leaders and their media express deeply conflicting views concerning the escalating conflict in Ukraine and its origins. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and other officials have repeatedly blasted the Kremlin for instigating the crisis along Ukraine's border in an attempt to carve out a sphere of influence. They argue that after the pro-Russian government of Viktor Yanukovych was ousted by peaceful protesters in 2014, dozens of whom were massacred by government snipers, Russia annexed Crimea and launched a hybrid war with Ukraine in the Donbass with the help of Russian proxies. Moreover, Western officials maintain that Ukraine is a sovereign state which has a right to join NATO. In contrast, Russian leaders insist that the Ukrainian government was overthrown in a fascist putsch, which led to Crimea voluntarily joining Russia and to a civil war without Russian military involvement in the Donbass. They say that Ukraine has been under de facto NATO rule since 2014 and regarded unrecognized separatist republics in the Donbass as independent. Various evidence presented in the studies I have authored, which has been echoed by many other Western scholars who research these issues, show that both of these narratives are inaccurate. Indeed, the question of which side carried out the snipers massacre is central to understanding one of the, quote, bloodiest and most controversial hours of European conflict since the end of the Cold War, end quote. And the main tipping point in the escalating conflict between the West and Russia over Ukraine. According to testimonies by over a 100 wounded protesters, several dozen prosecution witnesses and forensic, ballistic and medical examinations by government experts, the massacre of the absolute majority of protesters and police at the Maidan Central Square in Kiev on February 20th, 2014, was perpetrated principally by members of the Maidan opposition, specifically its far right elements. This event precipitated the violent removal of the corrupt and oligarchic but democratically elected government in Ukraine, touching off a conflict which has since killed more than 13,000 people. Western governments were at least aware of or de facto backed the overthrow. And again, you have to assume that he is writing from the perspective of a person who believes that the elections are legitimate in these places all over the world where the George Soros election apparatus, also known as our democracy, exists. I don't believe that at all. It is interesting that he refers to the government as corrupt and oligarchic, but democratically elected. 
The origin of the Ukraine-Russia conflict, which goes back to the violent overthrow of the pro-Russian Yanukovych government in 2014, is often misrepresented, omitted, or even covered up by Western governments, and with some notable exceptions, the mainstream media. Studies I have authored analyzing the Maidan massacre trials ongoing since their start in 2015 and investigations in Ukraine reveal overwhelming evidence that the Maidan protesters were massacred by snipers positioned within Maidan controlled buildings and not by government snipers or Burkut, the riot policemen who have been accused of picking off dozens of demonstrators. Such studies include a peer reviewed article, a book chapter and papers and video appendices presented at major academic conferences, including at the recent Virtual World Congress of the International Council for Central and East European Studies in Montreal. With some notable exceptions, such evidence was not reported by the Western media, which from the start blamed government snipers and the Burkut police for the massacre of the Maidan protesters on the orders of then-President Yanukovych. Such evidence includes videos, testimonies by more than 100 wounded protesters and several hundred other witnesses, including several dozen prosecution and defense witnesses at the Maidan massacre trial and investigation and forensic, ballistic and medical examinations by government experts. Synchronized videos show that specific times and directions of shooting of the absolute majority of the protesters did not coincide with the specific times and the approximate directions of live ammunition fire by the special Burkut police unit. Three protesters were killed and 10 wounded even before this unit appeared in Maidan. Synchronized video footage also showed that the killings of the protesters practically stopped after the government sniper units were deployed to the regime controlled areas near the epicenter of the protest. The videos alone prove beyond any doubt that Burkut and government snipers did not massacre the Maidan protesters. Dozens of members and commanders of government sniper units testified as prosecution witnesses at the Maidan massacre trial that they were ordered to locate and neutralize snipers who killed and wounded the Burkut policemen. They also testified that they came under fire by snipers from Maidan controlled buildings and areas. Even the official investigation determined that Yanukovych government snipers did not massacre the Maidan protesters. It recently charged an Omega Special Forces unit sniper with killing one protester. But videos, photos and forensic examinations by government experts and trial testimonies of two protesters, both of whom were next to him, revealed that he was shot in the back from a steep direction by a corroded bullet from a Maidan controlled building when he faced the government positions. And in the interest of time, I'm just going to jump down a bit because some of this was covered in the article I went through just before. No evidence of any order by Yanukovych or his ministers and commanders to fire upon the Maidan protesters has been revealed by the investigation or the media. Not a single member of his government, police or security forces admitted involvement in the massacre or revealed any evidence that the protesters were shot by the government forces or specifically on a government order. In contrast, there is evidence of the involvement of Maidan leaders, the far right and foreign snipers in the massacre of the police and the protesters, foreign snipers. Several Maidan leaders and activists provided testimonies while 14 self-admitted members of the Maidan sniper units admitted in media interviews and to the Maidan massacre trial that they themselves or other Maidan snipers shot at the police and the protesters. 
Several former members of the Georgian military testified that they and other groups of Maidan snipers in the Hotel Ukraina and the Music Conservatory were ordered by specific Maidan leaders and ex-Georgian leaders to fire on police and protesters and that they witnessed the massacre. What's more, a retired Georgian officer also claimed that Georgian snipers linked to Mikhail Saakashvili, ex-president of Georgia, and senior members of his party and the government were involved in the Maidan massacre. The prosecution and the Maidan victims' lawyers claimed that these Georgians were actors, even though their identities are confirmed by various evidence, such as documents by the Ukrainian, Armenian, Belarusian, and Georgian authorities. Two leaders of the far-right Svoboda party also stated in separate interviews that a Western government representative told them and other Maidan leaders a few weeks before the massacre that Western governments would stop recognizing Yanukovych after casualties among protesters reached a hundred. Such specific conditionality created incentives to, quote, sacrifice protesters and attribute their killing to government forces. The slain protesters were called the Heavenly Hundred, even after the official investigation confirmed that 49 protesters died on that day. Immediately after the massacre, Western governments blamed the Yanukovych government and his forces for the mass killing and recognized the new Maidan government. You see how that works? This is a color revolution led by the same global communists that have staged color revolutions all across the world. And this concept here is very, very interesting. Okay, so they want to depose Yanukovych. They want him out of there. They want to replace him with a new government regime change in Ukraine. That's the goal. The way they attempted to achieve that goal was by massacring protesters so they could blame it on the Yanukovych government. Now, again, think about what we saw on January 6th and what we have learned since. We have seen videos with police beating protesters to death, pushing them off two-story ledges, shooting projectiles at them. The Capitol Police instigated the violence on January 6th. And you have to wonder, after Nancy Pelosi made sure that the National Guard troops, 10,000 of them, that Donald Trump had requested to keep the Capitol area safe and the protesters safe, well, they didn't show up because of optics. So what do we have there? D.C. Metro Police and the Capitol Police neither of which answer to pretty much anyone. And we can see how the state media propagandists responded to this and how the uniparty communists responded to this. Donald Trump incited the insurrection. It was very deadly. People died. Was it Trump supporters that died? Yes, but they're not going to tell us that. It's all about the police officers, you know, like Brian Sicknick, who was beaten with a fire extinguisher, or at least that's what they told us initially. And that turned out not to be true. So instead, they said he was sprayed with bear spray and that caused him to have a stroke in the hospital and die. But that, too, was not true. And then we were told that three other Capitol Police officers had committed suicide in the months following. They were just so broken up 
by the event that they committed suicide. Now, I want you to think back to January 6th and remember that Donald Trump released a video statement right in the middle of all the stuff that was going on at the Capitol, asking all of his supporters to go home peacefully. And that is what his supporters did. And it's entirely possible that he saved many American lives that day by putting that video out, because who knows what the intent of that event was? We are getting a much clearer picture of that event than we had on January 6th. But look at what the playbook is. They want the death and destruction because that gives them the justification for achieving their political ends. They wanted a hundred deaths because with a hundred deaths, they could depose Yanukovych. They would blame it on Yanukovych and then he would be gone and all of the power of his supporters would be eradicated. Similarly, on January 6th, Donald Trump invited people to the Capitol for a peaceful protest, which is exactly why people showed up. They were there to protest an obviously stolen election. Then things got violent. Part of that was from provocateurs. Part of that was from Capitol Police attacking American citizens. And yes, I am sure that some of those protesters who were initially there for a good cause got caught up in the violence. Maybe they thought they were defending the people next to them. Maybe they thought they were defending the country. I don't know. But I'm sure that they got involved in the violence. And to the extent that they did, we have laws capable of handling that. Those laws are not being applied to any of the January 6th prisoners. They're charging people with obstruction of a government process. They are keeping them in prison, in poor conditions, without trials. It is a travesty. But think about what they actually wanted to accomplish. There is no reason to believe that what they expected to gain out of January 6th was any different than the playbook they executed in the Maidan massacre. And that should be horrifying to everyone. The investigation by the Ukrainian government denies that there were any snipers in Maidan controlled buildings, despite overwhelming evidence that they perpetrated a mass killing of protesters and police on February 20th, 2014. It is striking that almost eight years after the massacre, which was verified by videos, testimonies, witnesses, and forensic, ballistic, and medical examinations by government experts, nobody has been arrested or convicted. Without understanding the Maidan massacre and bringing to justice its perpetrators, it is impossible to understand and resolve peacefully the internal and international conflicts involving Ukraine and the dangerously escalating war in the Donbass. Now, I think I'm going to reach out to this professor, Ivan Kachanovsky, because this guy knows his stuff. I wonder if he has thought to relate this to the color revolution playbook that has been used in way too many countries at this point. And I just want to quickly point out one other article and I'll just read the beginning of this here. It's a good thing to take a look at. This too is up in the info stream, but this is from the Hill. This is when John Solomon was still there. 326, 2019 U S embassy pressed Ukraine to drop probe of George Soros group during 2016 election. 
Okay. While the 2016 presidential race was raging in America, Ukrainian prosecutors ran into some unexpectedly strong headwinds as they pursued an investigation into the activities of a nonprofit in their homeland known as the Anti-Corruption Action Center. The focus on Ant AC, whose youthful street activists famously wore Ukraine fuck corruption t-shirts, was part of a larger probe by Ukraine's prosecutor general's office into whether the $4.4 million in U.S. funds to fight corruption inside the former Soviet Republic had been improperly diverted. The prosecutors soon would learn the resistance they faced was blowing directly from the U.S. embassy in Kiev, where the Obama administration took the rare step of trying to press the Ukrainian government to back off its investigation of both the U.S. aid and the group. The investigation into the Anti-Corruption Action Center, based on the assistance they have received from us, is similarly misplaced. Then Embassy Charge d'Affaires, George Kent, wrote the prosecutor's office in April 2016 in a letter that also argued U.S. officials had no concerns about how the U.S. aid had been spent. And George Kent is a name that keeps coming up, came up in the Ukrainian impeachment hoax, comes up with Joe Biden's corruption. Keep that name in mind. These are all the same people doing all the same stuff again. They just move from country to country to country executing regime change operations that are always painted by the Western media as a peaceful uprising of oppressed citizens. That is always what they do. Same thing with Black Lives Matter, another group funded by George Soros. Same thing with the protesters in Myanmar, another group funded by George Soros, another fake election. At the time, the nation's prosecutor general had just been fired under pressure from the United States and a permanent replacement had not been named. A few months later, Yuri Litsenko, widely regarded as a hero in the West for spending two years in prison after fighting Russian aggression in his country, was named prosecutor general and invited to meet new U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch, another familiar name. Litsenko told me he was stunned when the ambassador, quote, gave me a list of people whom we should not prosecute, end quote. The list included a founder of the Ant-AC group and two members of parliament who vocally supported the group's anti-corruption reform agenda, according to a source directly familiar with the meeting. And it's such a surprise, isn't it, that all the Black Lives Matter and Antifa domestic terrorists just get to get out of prison right away? It's such a surprise that so many of the corrupt politicians in the American Uniparty will support these movements. Yes, it's such a mystery. It turns out the group that Ukrainian law enforcement was probing was co-funded by the Obama administration and liberal mega donor George Soros. And it was collaborating with the FBI agents investigating then Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort's business activities with pro-Russian figures in Ukraine. The implied message to Ukraine's prosecutors was clear. Don't target Ant AC in the middle of an American presidential election in which Soros was backing Hillary Clinton to succeed another Soros favorite, Barack Obama, Ukrainian officials said. We ran right into a buzzsaw and we got bloodied, a senior Ukrainian official told me. And the article goes on. 
But these patterns are unmistakable. This is pure evil, killing protesters intentionally so they can enact a regime change and put the George Soros election apparatus, also known as our democracy, in place. It happens all around the world. This is the malign influence of the global communist order. It is not just about George Soros, but George Soros is absolutely one of the kingpins in this. George Soros has made a career of trying to take over other countries. And he started that career by loading his own Jewish neighbors onto Nazi trains. That's who that person is. He is 100% involved in the corrupt Ukrainian state that Vladimir Putin is attacking right now while our Western media defends the global communist interests. That is why, that is why you should be open to the idea that Vladimir Putin is not trying to take over all of Ukraine and is not attacking Ukraine citizens. It seems to me pretty clear that Ukraine's corruption and Ukraine being a hotbed of corruption and criminality for the global communists is the actual problem in Ukraine. And it is exactly what Vladimir Putin is attacking. And if you look at the people trying to convince the country that we all must stand with Ukraine, we need a no-fly zone over Ukraine to start a hot war with Russia. We need to ready our nuclear arms so that we might start a nuclear war with Russia. We need to threaten Russia in all possible ways, but the only things we will actually do are designed to torture Russian citizens and make their lives hard. The people selling all of this in politics and the media and everywhere else are the same people that sold us the Iraq war. They're the same people that sold us the Russiagate hoax. They're the same people that sold us the COVID narrative. And they're the same people that sell us the idea that Joe Biden somehow got 81 million real legal American votes from his basement, in spite of the fact that there is overwhelming evidence of fraud all across the country. Why would anyone continue to believe these people? They just tried to convince you last night that the world was going to end because Vladimir Putin's insanity and irresponsibility almost blew up a nuclear power plant that didn't blow up. That's where we are. So, guys, just a reminder, once again, I'm going to post this on Rumble and BitChute at I'm your moderator on there at I'm your moderator on all platforms. I will figure out a new way to get the podcast back up. I hope that means that it will land in your Spotify or Apple feeds every day because I know that's how most people listen. If that's not possible, download a new podcast app, okay? Podbean is basically the same as Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I should be able to get my show up there. I am unfortunately going to have to spend the weekend figuring this out now, but hopefully by Monday, this will all be set up. It will not hurt you to download Podbean. You can get other podcasts there as well. Maybe all of the ones you normally listen to, and then you don't have to use the products of corporations who censor your fellow American citizens at all. And that is always preferable. 
I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. In fact, I don't even have a distribution platform. (laughs) Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!